0: What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you're listening and watching another epic episode of Untold Stories where together, twice a week, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to truly understand how this movement came to be, where we are right now in this moment, and oh boy, everyone kind of wants to know what, what's going on right now, and where we're going in the future, and how we're going to get there. I just got back from Austin, Texas at Consensus 2022. And man, it was hot. Actually, I was reminiscing with the creators of ConsenSys, uh, Coindesk, that the, um, I think the 2017 bull market, I remember like landing in New York at that Consensus for 2018, 2017. I remember landing and it, the price was like finally turning around. Uh, we were, everyone at that point was so used to this bear market that we were in for a year or so that at that point, there had been so many false starts that no one believed it. But it felt like something was changing. So I will say that a lot of people are looking at charts and, and all these different like levels. At the end of the day, Bitcoin and crypto is a uh, little over 10 years old. It's very new. It's impossible to predict what's going to be other than based on feelings and from those people who have been there before in the past. Other than that, charters, influencers, things like that, especially the ones who just, this is their first first bull and bear market. Be careful because it's, it's very easy to get wrecked. A lot of people have gotten wrecked. If you had been listening to this show and following me and the projects and the people that we've had on the show, you hopefully avoided getting wrecked and, 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 and are in a good, good place. But now more than ever, you will see a proliferation of a lot more scams and things like that. So, just want to look out. We're in some crazy days. These are where the opportunities are. Not to say that you catch the falling knife or things are going to change really quickly, but you'll know that in a year or two or three from now, when we've all made our fortunes again, for some of us, because we all lost a little bit of it during this time around, but when we make our fortunes in a few years, we're going to look back during this year, during these months now, and saying, I wish I bought more of this. I wish I got involved. I wish I worked for this company. It's impossible to predict it when it's happened. It's always hindsight. It's always in the past. But those situations will come back. Um, So consensus was really great. Obviously, uh, Terra and Luna was on everyone's mind. This was like the day before Celsius had paused withdrawals. So a lot of people were worried about what was Celsius going to do. Everyone at that point was removing their money from Celsius. A lot of people were talking about it. But it wasn't a like muted atmosphere per se. It was very cultural. A lot of fun. A lot of people just kind of building and having a good time. Talking about I saw people building things like decentralized email uh, on top of Bitcoin and crypto. I saw people building some really, really brilliant things. And what, what they did was... I saw a huge pivot of companies building products on top of our infrastructure, but for the masses. If you notice a lot of companies that were built and that got very successful, especially like in DeFi lending and stuff like that over the last year or 2 were like crypto companies servicing crypto companies, not crypto companies building for the outside world. We have to prove utility now. We have to prove that this technology can actually change the world, not just promise that we have to launch companies that'll do that. So, I will say that it's great to launch companies to service others, but it's also important to, uh, to build companies and build products to prove why we're here. So, I had an amazing time doing a panel at Consensus, and we were able to record it video and audio. I'm excited to bring it to you guys in a few minutes. What a treat this panel was! I just want to introduce some of the folks who are on this panel. This was a Bitcoin 10 years later. Uh, the 10-year anniversary actually of the founding of the Bitcoin Foundation was on that day. So we had myself, uh, Jared Kenna, who was the founder of the first Bitcoin exchange after Mt. Gox called Trade Hill. Actually, Trade Hill was my company, BitInstant, which launched in 2011. Trade Hill was one of our liquidity providers because back then, the only two places to buy Bitcoin in large amounts were Mt. Gox or Trade Hill. You'd have to wire Money to their personal bank accounts, and you'd have a credit there, and then you could use this like very, very crappy exchange. But when BitInstant launched, and we had people wanted to buy retail, like how most people buy Bitcoin today or crypto today, is you go and you buy it on Coinbase or Voyager or one of your apps. You don't go on an exchange and place like an order or limit or market order. Uh, Those were the only ways. So BitInstant was the first retail exchange. Who else? Jonathan Mohan. What a treat this panel was! Jonathan Mohan arguably founded. Now he works for DLTX, which is a publicly traded Bitcoin mining firm. But he founded Satoshi Square, which was a huge meetup in New York City that was launched in 2012, which was a way to get all people together to trade Bitcoin. Because at the time, people were getting worried about trading Bitcoin with each other locally or on the internet. So we figured, Let's all meet at a public park once a day, and there'll be a person kind of being like an auctioneer. And he created that, and Satoshi Square ended up being the top, top, like first meetup groups before meetup.com was even a thing. And then Adam B. Levine moderated it. Now, let me tell you about Adam. Adam basically launched the first Bitcoin podcast called Let's Talk Bitcoin. He worked on Bitcoin Magazine, which was uh, where Vitalik actually worked, Vitalik worked at Bitcoin Magazine, uh, writing before he went on to found Ethereum. Uh, but let's talk Bitcoin. Was the famous roundtable show with him, Dr. Stephanie Murphy, and Andreas Antonopoulos. And as everyone knows, Andreas ended up becoming one of the 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 best, you know, teachers. He's wrote so many books, and at in this moment, he's probably in somewhere far flung place in the world educating people about Bitcoin. How many videos have we watched or listened to, Andreas? He's invited to Joe Rogan probably once every six months because of it. But Andreas was the other person on Let's Talk Bitcoin. My inspiration for launching this podcast, but Let's Talk Bitcoin is still running. You can still go listen to their episodes. Such a beautiful thing. And we just riffed. We had a good time on this panel. We told stories. We laughed. Jared makes tonic water. Uh, Now he exports tonic water with his his amazing girlfriend in Colombia. And on stage, he actually handed me some tonic water. There may or may not have been some vodka in there. I don't know. But it certainly felt like it because we were starting to have a really good time. But enjoy the panel, guys. It's 30 minutes long. You're going to love it. And I'll see you in a few days. Please welcome the panelist for 10 years later. Bitcoin's commercial beginnings from those who were there.
1: Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. This is 10 Years Later, Bitcoin's commercial beginnings from those who were there. And we were, in fact, all there. Uh, (laughs) My name is Adam B. Levine. In 2013, I started my fifth Bitcoin podcast, and it was the first one that took off and was in the right place, right time. And it put me in a really interesting seat over the course of about 18 months to be sort of the platform. On which, first as a podcast and then as a publishing platform, that really introduced a lot of the ideas and a lot of sort of the concepts that have become popularized over the last, at this point, half dozen years. So today we have a really great panel of people who I really like and I'm very happy to be talking with. Uh, over here we have Jared Kenna, who was the original founder of Trade Hill. You were the founder, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, founder of Trade Hill, which has very interesting stories behind it. Of course, Charlie Schrem from Bit Instant and many other ventures. And then Jonathan Mohan, the original creator of the uh, New York Bitcoin meetup, who so ran Square. that for a long yeah. time, Satoshi Square, and a lot of other kind of very early infrastructure projects along that side. But outside of even the projects that Jonathan was involved in, Jonathan knew everybody and everything that was happening in New York. <laughs> and so he's very eminently qualified to be sitting right here. So just to kind of kick it off, folks, I gave very brief intros of you. Kind of talk to us. You know, let, let's let's play the classic Bitcoin game. Talk very briefly about your rabbit hole story, just specifically in the context of when did you hear about it first, kind of what was the timing around that, and then what was kind of the moment where you switched from, oh, I heard about it, to I'm in it. And Jonathan, let's start with you.
2: Oh, um, actually, it's it's. I guess it's a good lead-in because I remember watching Charlie (laughs) give a talk on um, um, only one TV. Oh my God, (laughs) Bruce Wagner, yeah, with
0: Bruce Wagner. Oh oh my God,
2: so
1: so (laughs) only one TV was the very first, one of the very first Bitcoin media sources, right? (laughs) And it was it had the distinction of being video very early on, at a time when that was not a common thing at all. Again, I was doing podcasts, and these guys were doing daily video almost every single day. They put on the first Bitcoin conference, right. and then resigned and disappeared in disgrace after having pushed in many people into this uh, into this web wallet that then was either compromised or had a rug pull exit scam on it, and that saw many early sort of Bitcoin holders yeah. lose pretty much everything. And then there were also some other sketchier accusations. It was about.
2: only it was only, well, I mean, it was only a quarter million
1: Bitcoin. It was only a quarter million Bitcoin. Bitcoin which Bitcoin, yeah. At the time, yeah. it was not that much. I, I, I still learned, it was have Bitcoin, a lot of in Bitcoin, Bitcoin but not that much in terms of dollars compared to what yeah. we're talking about. Today. And so the The
2: the people who orange-pilled me was uh, Free Talk Live and Charlie on Only One TV.
1: And then what was kind of the thinking when you started the Bitcoin meetup in New York?
2: Oh, uh, well, it was just I needed a co-founder and I couldn't find (laughs) anyone. And so I started a Bitcoin meetup so that I could find a co-founder for my startup. Um, But in March 13th, it got named Money Transmission. (laughs) And I said, you can't start a bank in your parents' basement. You go to jail. And so I put that on pause. Um, Yeah, you would. (laughs) 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 Okay, okay. So this is an excellent lead, I suppose, to Charlie. Charlie, talk to us about
1: your
0: story. Probably one of the first physical people that I actually spoke on the phone with about anything Bitcoin-related was was this guy over here, Jared, back in uh, 2011. But because Bitcoin back then really just existed on IRC, uh, which was like the Bitcoin chat room at the time, (laughs) and it was like forums.bitcoin.org, and then... uh, Shoot, there wasn't even a Reddit yet, it was yeah, just no. those two places. And um, this guy over here had, there was Mountain Gox and Trade Hill and no one wanted to go trade on Mt. Gox because you'd have to wire money to this guy's personal bank account in Japan to buy Bitcoin. And this was the only place, so Jared started Trade Hill and um, his accounts were getting shut down all the time, which is what would happen back then. Back then, anyone who ran a Bitcoin company would have to have their like incorporation paperwork in their back pocket running from bank to bank as you get shut down. But um, we met and everything, but the first time that I ever felt that I was in it, because that's a great question, was I remember just being on the Bitcoin forums, and it was, uh, it was May 2011, and who, the guy who ended up becoming my business partner, because I, I should have done like what you did, but I meet my business partners on the <laughs> internet, and we three years later ran that <laughs> successful company, never, never met. We never spent more than 15 minutes on the phone together. But he, um, he was just like, yeah, I have this idea to make Bitcoin transactions faster, and I need $10,000 to start it. And my next, res- I was the first person to respond on the forum post. I said, I'm in, let's go. Yeah, tell the seed me- rounds got bigger. Let's see- yeah, <laughs> that was the seed round, $10,000. Uh, and at the time, it was a lot of money, too. Oh, this is amazing.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, so Jared, tell your story, and then also explain why you're pouring cups here.
3: Well, I'm... So, I started the first Bitcoin exchange in the United States. It was the second in the world. Um, I got in early 2010 and, or late 2009, right in there. And there was only one exchange in the world. It sucked. It was terrible. And it sucked until it died. And <laughs> I said, How can we have this decentralized currency where you have like one entry and exit point? And of course, you could. If you found somebody that wanted to take dollars, you could do
0: that. It's but like local bitcoins. Right. But, stuff. Well, that didn't really exist. Before the local bitcoins. yeah. Right.
3: So we, we launched, I want to say, on uh, June twelfth, 2011, which was coincidentally the same day that Chuck Schumer came out and said, Bitcoin's only good for money laundering, drugs, terrorism, and maybe child porn, and, um, which was like the best marketing we could ever have, <laughs> oh, yeah. and, uh, but not for the banks, but for yeah. getting the word out. Well. You know, I
1: mean, if it makes all of this stuff possible, then imagine the good things that it makes possible too.
0: That led to that Gawker article in 2011. That led to a lot of people getting into Bitcoin. It was like a it was like a Silk Road related article.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So um, basically,
3: ran that for a while. Started the San Francisco Bitcoin meetup. I guess I took it over after after the first day. We had 12 people in there, (laughs) and. so I had a 41-bedroom place in the Mission District in San Francisco. It turned out into like a crypto, Bitcoin hacker house. So, you know, like uh, the rise, rise, and rise in Bitcoin, filmed a bunch of stuff there. And it was, it was this old crack house, but it had this crazy crypto history. Um, like Ripple came together there. I was the fourth person in Ripple, yeah. so I introduced. I had known. Jed and Arthur and David prior, and then I knew Chris Larson. Uh-huh. So I pitched Chris Larson on Ripple, which sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. for better or worse. Um, I didn't hodl, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, let's not get into that. Um, and then, so Ripple started
0: there as well, and a whole bunch of other cool projects. Um, there's a lot of guys that are... Oh, yeah, Kraken, Jesse from Kraken used to hang out there all the time. Vitalik used to crash Vital- in the couch. Yeah, Trace Mayer, too, was there all the time, Miles stayed to, with me yeah. over there, yeah. Who else? Like, everyone was came through came through 20 Mission. It was yeah. a small
1: world, you know, yeah. back in those days. Again, like, it was very possible to know about pretty much every project that was going on and every person who was kind of meaningful within the space and doing something interesting. Yeah. And that was pretty much over by about 2014, you think?
3: Yeah, that's like, about when it changed. I, I
2: remember um, in 2013 on Christmas Eve, uh, I had got someone had sent me that someone wrote a new like Bitcoin technical paper, mm-hmm. and I opened the link to a Google Doc and I saw it was like <laughs> you, me, Gavin Andreessen, and yeah, a bunch yeah. of other people. and I felt like so honored <laughs> that like all of us were wasting our New Year's Eve reading a <laughs> Bitcoin white paper.
3: So yeah. you asked about the beverage. So uh, now I own a brewery in Medellin, Colombia, gotcha. and uh, we export tonic. So I very right, good. You were there when I started the Bitcoin exchange, so we got approval for exporting Tonic last week. So I figured congratulations for you, one on the cheers.
1: <laughs> right on. All right, cool. So again, like let's continue this sort of like uh, reminiscence about the old days. Again, like from your experience. Again, like contrasting against the way that things are today. Like. What was, what, was, what was it like to actually be part of that? And Charlie, I want to start with you for this one. What, what was it like to be, you know, like you had kind of one of the, the more interesting entrepreneurial stories and, you know, that story was audacious. And I remember you had, you know, run-ins with the Winklevoss twins that were utterly crazy. And again, like how old were you when this was happening too?
0: I was probably, when I first got into Bitcoin, I was probably turning 20 years old. And I just always grew up with the belief that if you really believe in something and you really, really think it's just go and really do it and don't really let anyone stand in your way. And for some reason I knew Bitcoin was gonna be so great in and, and the future and this was gonna really take over everything, but I didn't know why. I just had like we had I think all of us had this kind of feeling that this thing was going to be successful in the future and it was going to amount to something. But none of us knew why. And it was really just more an enjoyable in the process. I grew up in a very religious Jewish community. I didn't have friends that wanted to be just my friends for me, not part of the community. So here I'm in this Bitcoin world filled of like geeks and misfits and more. I got to Bitcoin to find friends. That's literally why I got into Bitcoin. I like hanging out in the IRC chat rooms. I like talking to all the people, understanding why everyone was there in the first place, how it came to be. Um, I remember, like, I, my parents never wanted me to, like, move out of my house and get my own place, so I would have to fly and live on Jared's floor <laughs> while I was running BitInstant. Yeah, like, that, those were, but everyone was very accessible, too. You can get in touch with everyone and everyone kind of worked together. And there was no, I, 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 2014 changed this, but competition didn't really exist. Yeah. Do you remember, like, when we friendly. went to, to, to Brian Armstrong's barbecue, yeah. Coinbase barbecue? Like, and he was, wasn't even started Coinbase yet. Here he was just working at Airbnb, and he wanted to basically take all of our ideas. Roger Veer was there, uh, a bunch of other people. Tony, yeah. Tony Gallippi was there from Bitpay, and yeah. Coinbase ended up being but like there was no we never thought that anyone would want to compete. It was like, "Hey, why don't we grow the pie?" instead of fighting over the small pie that was there. But right? that was when it changed. That's when it That changed. barbecue was the shift. <laughs> that, bar- that, bar- that day, <laughs> no, that barbecue. all Brian Armstrong's no. fault all along. Well, he, the wrong choice of me. If it wasn't for Coinbase, <laughs> none of us would be here today, too. It's, it ended up being a mega, mega, mega. Co- they paved the way for They dealt with a lot of the regulations that none of us had to deal with anymore. It was a natural evolution that was going yeah. to happen. Yeah, I mean,
3: I tend to agree with that
1: as well. Again, like you look at it, it's interesting, right? Because the incumbents, which I would argue Coinbase is at this point, always get all of the negative attention, right? And a lot of times it's totally justified, and a lot of times it's just because everybody wants to be that guy, right? But ultimately, again, like that's kind of where it where it grew. From this very early, you know, one, one more kind of follow up on this, Charlie. Like the... Um, like one of the things that characterized the very early Bitcoin community to me was that almost nobody used their real name. It was almost <laughs> entirely pseudonymous. I was Yankee. Yeah, exactly. You were a Yankee. Again, like I was mind to matter in those yep. worlds. And like this is like that. So like the fact that you were already connecting with Jared at that point is kind of actually interesting to me because that was not, I think, a very common thing.
0: You had your real name, or it was just Trade Hill was
3: your forum post. I had two accounts, but I remember in sometime like early 2011, I think, there was a push for people to use their real names. Yeah. I remember that and something uh, yeah. happened, yeah. And then like, yeah, it was really funny. It was just some, somebody was like, if they want us to take us seriously, you can't be Big, big Badass Miner 279. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Or Pirate 40 or whatever. right? well, did our <laughs> <laughs> But, Pirate Forty was a uh, was a lasted about a year, right? Yeah. Lasted about a year. It was a very obvious Bitcoin Ponzi. He scheme called
0: it a Ponzi scheme. That He's like people my were Ponzi. super
1: excited about because if you get into a Ponzi scheme early, then you're going to make money, and so people just jumped in. Of yeah. course, until the thing collapses under well, its own weight, and then he goes to jail.
2: But the, you know, I mean, the craziest thing about Pirate Forty was if you looked at his his offering statement for his Ponzi scheme, he did it in 2013. And if he literally just fulfilled the Ponzi scheme, it would have been solvent. Yeah, he would have
0: made money with the <laughs> price of Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin went up. from
2: yeah. $15 to $1,200 <laughs> right. that year. And so if you actually just ran the calculations out and said if he did what he said he was going to do, you could have done 7% a week, week over week for that year. Wow. Um, and I so he just that. wasn't orange-pilled enough to believe in Bitcoin. <laughs> and that's why he just took the money and run. I- I mean... That's a very good point.
1: Yeah, go ahead, Charlie. No, a
0: lot of the early scammers in the industry didn't actually believe in Bitcoin, so they would, when the industry self-regulated them out, they would leave. You know, what's funny is
1: that I didn't believe in Bitcoin. And honestly, I still don't really believe in Bitcoin today, right? Bitcoin continues to prove that it doesn't require belief by continuing to exist. And to the extent I've always felt that the, that you put faith into these things. Now, of course, this was not a good investing mm-hmm. thesis for me, but I think that, again, it's it like you look at these faith-based systems, and you don't really need faith-based systems in a world that has cryptography and that has blockchains and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, I don't think it requires faith, but in terms of, as an investment strategy, certainly believing early on that this thing was gonna work and then just acting accordingly, yeah. that turned out to be
2: a very good strategy, I think, indeed. I think the thing that was just so obvious obvious in everyone was the conviction of values that they had and the desire for change. Sure. Um, Because it wasn't until November of 2013, during the congressional hearing, that each of the alphabet uh, soup organizations explicitly said, being a Bitcoiner isn't a felony. And you could say, well, obviously it's not, looking backward. The half, half an hour after that statement was made in Congress, Bitcoin went from four hundred dollars to nine hundred dollars during that hearing. Wow! And so the market truly believed Bitcoin was going to be stated to be a felony just being a Bitcoiner. I remember um, in August of 2013, Congress said we give the FBI 120 days to give us a report on the legality of Bitcoin. Could you imagine
0: that? Like it's a technology. It's you know it's like it's insane. And they're still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: and imagine you're you're a kid and you tell your bank, I got Bitcoin, and they cancel your bank account. You do a startup and you say, I'm doing Bitcoin, and they cancel your bank account. I had a friend who had a, a lived next to a banker that owned a bank and told him, I'm doing a Bitcoin startup, and that banker canceled his personal bank account just
3: yeah. for being a person with a Bitcoin startup. They'll cancel all the signers on an the account. They'll cancel family members' accounts and stuff like that. Oh yeah. I had a, I had a guy that worked for me as a CFO, and he was a signer on something like seventeen accounts because he 's CFO for part time for a bunch of different companies, and um, they closed every single one of those companies wow. accounts Wow, because he was doing crypto
2: yeah and so, and so in 2013, when all of the writing was on the wall that I was right, the government was wrong, and they were going to make what I was doing illegal. My response to the FBI investigating uh, the the community, and if you're in New York, that's where the FBI is going to be investigating, um, was I said, okay, we have 120 days before this thing's a felony. How do we make sure that Bitcoin uh, doesn't care? Uh, And so my friends and I decided that every Monday in Union Square, we would buy and sell Bitcoin in person. And the thought was for 5,000 years, we've had this social experiment called government, and they've never been able to stop two people meeting in the park and doing whatever the hell they want. And so irrespective of whether or not they made it illegal, we would still be at this park every Monday buying and selling Bitcoin. And it got to the point where there were 20 of them around the world, they were called Satoshi Squares, and <laughs> like, like people who now own exchanges yeah. became OTC traders because they went to those meetings. It's true. That's where you, like,
0: learned how to become an OTC trader. I sold Fred Wilson from Union Square Ventures his Bitcoin at Satoshi <laughs> Square. That. Yeah,
3: that's awesome. The thing is, the regulatory uncertainty that existed for a long time was probably as detrimental as had they made it illegal. I mean, you couldn't go to a bank and open an account if there wasn't clarity. So the bank would Google it, they'd see bad
0: things, they'd see and they'd go, well, is this legal? And you'd be like, it's not
3: illegal, kind of. <laughs> Not
0: yet. I we were know. the disenfranchised ones, not just personally, but as a business.
2: Well, and here we were. I think we were worse than that in 2013. They would go, is this illegal? And you go, in 1913, the Federal Reserve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We
0: are so anarcho-capitalist back then. I had like yeah. all Murray, Murray Rothbard and everything like spewing out, and the bankers just trying to open up an account for yeah. <laughs> wire transfers or whatever. But you
3: mentioned the old days before it shifted into this real drive for competition and profit and everything, and it was amazing because everybody was just interested in growing this emerging technology. And nobody talked about, oh, if Bitcoin goes to, to 500, never. 500, we'll all yeah. be rich. And never. It was always, oh man, imagine if like, people could send you know, $200 to their family in Ecuador for, for three cents. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that was the yeah. topic. And it was always like, about growing it. It was never about making money, ever, which was weird because it was money.
0: I never, here, here's an interesting thing. You, it's great that you bring that up. And because i think a lot of early people a lot of bitcoin core developers just don't have a lot of bitcoin for that reason they never bought because i invested i think it. a lot of people i really believed bitcoin was going to be this great technology but i thought the value was going to be like i almost was a little bit angry at satoshi for naming bitcoin and bitcoin the same thing yeah the currency and the system i was more interested in the system here i always thought that in the future you would just have it would be like the value that people would have, it would be between each other. So if I need to send you a transaction, we use Bitcoin, but the value between us, we can define where that value came from. Exchanges existed just to get Bitcoin into people's hands, not at a price. I mean,
1: what's ironic kind of about the the early days is that it was so non-commercial actually right it's like it really was a technology that was being adopted purely because it was useful to people who were disenfranchised by the existing system and you look at you know the types of people who that was and on the one side you had people you know who were users of silk road right and they're whether or not it's illegal, they're disenfranchised, they're disenfranchised by the system. Yep. Right, and then on the other side, you've got libertarians who understand how money works, and they're disenfranchised because the money ain't gonna work the way that they want, so they basically you know, found this money that did work the way that they want, and it was, it was that, but I mean, that really was the early ethos. The point of owning Bitcoin wasn't that it was going to be worth all of this money, it was that this is useful, and the opportunity to build businesses, again, using that to, you know, like technology at its best, takes things that are impossible and it makes them possible but the information about that change is not evenly distributed and not quickly given out and so it's the early opportunists who are disenfranchised who tend to come into the space see those opportunities and grab it and again we're sitting up here with three people who that characterizes entirely so i mean uh, anyways i'm sorry I've, that that's that's me going off on a little bit of a uh, memory podcasting. lane there you're right, exactly you're right. but uh you know I mean, as the industry has matured and as we have seen, you know, I would argue there's still a lot of lack of clarity, you know, very intentionally so, but there's more clarity now. And we have publicly traded companies that, you know, are invested in Bitcoin. We have publicly traded companies that mine Bitcoin. We have publicly traded companies that exchange Bitcoin, right? So we're starting to kind of... I, I like to say we've been working our way down this road to boring, right? Where it stops being this yeah. exciting revolutionary thing and it's just the way that things are. So, I mean, talk to kind of what, what's changed, what's better, what's worse. You know, I mean, just generally, like, how, when you look at the space today and contrast it against the environment that we were operating in all those years ago,
2: like, where, where are we? I, I think the saddest thing that has happened in the past 10 years is there was so much belief and energy behind the entrepreneurial spirit of America Mm. and being American and being in America. And so much of that has been gutted. So much of that has left New York and then left America. And it it hurts to think that so much of this is American innovation and American talent that can't be American in order to succeed in this industry. Um, And that to me is something that I, I think is the saddest part of the past 10 years. Charlie?
3: What do you think, Jared? i mean got to exa- think about my answer. I was actually going to say the same thing. I'm a little upset I didn't go first. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's uh, the regulatory uncertainty allowed that. And you had so many of these companies and technologies that were created here in the United States. And then we had people had to leave. And they, they're like, oh, I'll go to Australia, I'll go to Europe. I'll go to, like, the U.S. is like... And if you look at, you know, like, for example, what the SEC is doing with different companies, it's, it's killing it, and the US had this massive, massive advantage, and as an American, I would have liked to see the United States dominate the space. And instead, we're trailing, horribly trailing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And we're not trailing because we're losing. We're trailing because the Americans that are doing it aren't doing it in America. Right.
1: You're but. right. 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 I mean, it that's, can't. I think, a great challenge. Again, like one of the things, of course, about Bitcoin that really kind of characterizes, certainly my interest in it, is that it for, it's, it's an unstoppable form of money, right? Like blockchains are a good way to track who owns what stuff on the Internet, and Bitcoin uses blockchains as a way to track who owns what money on the Internet. And having Internet-native money is incredibly powerful, but really it's the neutrality that's inherent to Bitcoin, right? And the Bitcoin network, you know, lowercase or uppercase B, uh, that That you know kind of characterizes that, and that 's something where again if you 're the United States, I continue to think that we have a battle that 's still to come mm-hmm. and so like let's let 's talk about that for a second let 's talk about again like what you know for everything that 's happened, what still needs to happen for this really to stop being a thing where we think about coinbase as you know a crypto company and it 's just a company, and this is a normal business to be in that you don 't even need to characterize as crypto because crypto basically is I mean, perhaps not everything, yeah. but, but has changed the way that we view ownership and changed the way that we view many of these things. I, I appreciate this is a really big question. Mm-hmm.
3: But uh, when I mean, it's, it's already happening and it's inevitable. I mean, you don't talk about web companies anymore. Right, exactly. You know, that used to be a term. Yeah. You know? No, I think it just takes time. It just, takes, it just time. has to be normal. Yeah. Right. And it's getting there.
0: There are kids born today. There were kids that are nine years old, 10 years old that didn't live in a world without Bitcoin. Mm. So. You're talking about how can we say to them, like, does Bitcoin exist or not, or does crypto exist? Uh, it's like it's, it is existence. It's part of their whole lives. Uh, so I agree. It's, it's definitely just time. I honestly didn't think it was going to happen this fast. I honestly didn't think it was going to get this big this quickly. We'd be here today. I didn't think that uh, you'd be exporting tonic water. <laughs> running DLTX. I, I didn't know we'd all be here today. And, and that's really such a beautiful thing, too. I'm very grateful for that. I think
3: the other thing that we under, we didn't appreciate was that for us, when it was like a $300 million market cap, that was insane. Yeah. When it when it hit dollar parity and it was yeah. dollar Bitcoin, we all celebrated. It was nuts. Then when it hit Pi, you know, 3.14 later, we went yeah. nuts, <laughs> which was pretty quick. Um, but it even when it was at hundreds of millions, it's nothing for the banking industry. Right. And even today, the banks, it's not even it's not even late for the banks. They right. can still get in. So I think we. We thought we had a better defense against the banks. We thought it would get so big they wouldn't touch it. And we're still not so big it can't be touched by the banks. It's moving fast.
0: I I always thought, too, it would be more of a transcending. So I forgot someone who was like at a at a Free State event in, in New Hampshire said, Charlie, let's not end the Fed, let's transcend the Fed. Create a better one, and uh, uh, we're all like, you know, if as if the Federal Reserve decided to put the money printer on autopilot and walk away for 30 years. And I was like, that it sounds great. Yeah. Look, gas was, in January 6, 2021, gas was $2.25. Now it's over $5. I hate to say it, but early Bitcoiners were right. The central bankers are screwing up our economy.
2: Well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Hey, I like that <laughs> guy. <laughs> 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 I think, I think uh, a- another thing that's worth mentioning that to me I love seeing is, so people talk about the highest highs, and I like to think of what's the last time we hit a lowest low, Mm -hmm. right, in terms of price. But also in terms of understanding of the ecosystem, when is the last time someone getting into Bitcoin asked you a question, right? And so for me, remember how much we had to talk about algorithmic monetary theory, and how the concept of predictable payments would blow people's minds. And I, I like to say, like in the beginning of the internet, you used to say the word information superhighway. right? Because in, a connected network couldn't, wouldn't, something they couldn't understand, but a highway they could. Right. And it's like, when was the last time you heard information superhighway? Right. And it's those victories that you win, where it's when's the last time that question was something a new person asked you? And the general consciousness is actually growing with you. And I think the most shocking thing in the past 10 years is as you think back to the questions that you were asked 10 years ago, all of the entry level questions that aren't even asked anymore, because general consciousness has actually grown so far. Yeah. For the love of God, you go to, you watch CNN and they say the word fiat. That's yeah. when Success they talk right about the dollar. I know.
0: That's our legacy right there. That, that is. Financial literacy and people caring. 10 years ago, no one cared about Federal Reserve meeting minutes and, and inflation rates and all these things. Granted, we didn't have inflation like we have now, but it was a very different world. I,
2: I, used, to, I used to bet people $5 that the dollar said Federal Reserve note on it, that it was a debt instrument and it right. wasn't a dollar. And they're like, no, it doesn't. I'm like, it's literally on the face <laughs> of the paper.
1: OK, so unfortunately, we are almost out of time. We needed about an hour and a half for this conversation <laughs> yeah. about four years. But uh, but OK, so. so uh, you don't have to answer this because I am putting you on the spot, but but each of you again like one of the things about the early space to me that I thought was really interesting was seeing all of the crazy jerry-rigged projects, the workarounds, <laughs> the bridges, oh, yeah. the Sam Bankman-Frieds, you know, taking backpacks mm-hmm. of cash across the border, you know, <laughs> to deposit into an exchange to get some arbitrage uh, returns. I mean like, you know, what what kind of stands out to you as something as something or perhaps the most audacious if you can think of it?
3: Just like one little stupid thing or just a big like, project. I mean, your choice. I mean, I shoved eighty thousand in cash into an ATM one time.
1: <laughs> okay, I mean, that
3: was like just because the bank wasn't open and I had to get the money in, and I <laughs> and I had to wire it. Uh, yeah. How'd that go? if fine. Okay. I, I was oh, like, man. I expected to like hear something, but apparently you can shove eighty thousand dollars in twenties into an ATM, <laughs> 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 and it it will fit. And takes no it one cares. A half, but, you know, about that long. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: My first and, Bitcoin cam was, scam was the pet scam. Someone was using BitInstant. Uh, to let people buy fake exotic animals for Bitcoin and he never delivered their Bitcoins. So I was getting calls like, where's my mini fox and stuff like that. And I'm oh, like man. 20 years old running this company out of New York City trying to like do Bitcoin <laughs> transactions.
2: Uh, I guess if I had to go for a crazy moment, I remember being a uh, junior in college and I was taking an accounting course and, and I had this horrible professor who just thought that he could curve anything. Okay. Uh, and so we took the accounting midterm and every single person got like a C minus and he's like, don't worry, it's basically an A, I'm gonna curve it later. And I remember getting <laughs> this like, horrible grade on accounting 101 and being like, oh my God, this is so stupid, I know accounting, this professor's just horrible, at the same time, the multi-billionaire Matthew Mellon was texting me, asking me questions about Bitcoin (laughs) (laughs) and how he needed to have dinner with me that day because he had another question about the blockchain. (laughs) And I was like, this legacy world is just not where I need to spend my consciousness. The coolest thing is like meeting heads of state or people like that yeah. and
0: like they know who I am. And that's kind of cool. I never get used to that. People ask me for selfies and stuff. I'll never get used to that. I have a huge imposter syndrome. Like why? Like I didn't do anything. So it's crazy. I think all of us have that. I mean. Oh, for sure.
1: I mean, again, you didn't get into Bitcoin in the early days because you had a lot of other stuff going on, right? You got into <laughs> it because
3: you were looking to cause some. I problems. had nothing. Else. <laughs> That's the thing. I just like, wanted friends. There's no way we would have got those jobs today. Exactly. It's no, because exactly. nobody else wanted it. The competitive well, we the ecosystem best. at we're the
1: time was the non-existent. nonexistent. <laughs> basically, if you wanted to do something, right. then you just did it. Again, when I created the podcast that then propelled my career for mm-hmm. the last ten years. There were no other podcasts. I'm
0: so sad that your last episode's oh, we coming up. Oh, haven't even announced
1: it yet. Last <laughs> time, the oldest running.
0: Oh, sorry.
1: <laughs> Never mind. Well, we're announcing it now. Yes, I'm retiring my podcast. But oh. anyways, um, guys, this <laughs> has been an incredible conversation. You know, again, it's been an incredible... stick my foot just, in my mouth. Let me there's nobody after us. We can just keep going. So, I mean, we would keep going if they let us, but I think oh. Six, seven. To...
3: Tells you how much you go over? We're over. We're, We're over. over. Okay, thanks, everybody. This All has been an incredible we'll panel. We'll see you in another 10 years. Great. We'll see you in another yeah. 10 years. All right. We'll Good have job, long- guys.